Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast. This week, we are reading The Hero of Ages, chapters 40, 41, 42, 43, and surprise, 44. Those of you who have been following along last week, I said we were reading four chapters. After some discussion uh, in the Discord, particularly, and some suggestions from people, I realized, hey, 44 would actually be a really good place to end this episode. So I added, kind of tacked that one on after the fact. So in those chapters, we get uh, some discussion with Ellen and his new crew, I guess you'd call them. I don't know what else, his advisors about Inquisitors and all that sort of thing. And they, they're kind of discovering Hemalurgy's existence. We see Breeze and Sazed attending the uh, execution, and Spook attending the execution from a different angle. Marsh manages to stick a spike into King Penrod. Vin and Elland attend a ball, and then Vin gets trapped at the ball. Or I guess when she leaves the ball, she gets trapped and uh, meets up with an old friend. I am Data, and with me is... Jack. Joe. And Jamie. All right, hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. As the tiles of steel and stone crumble to dust, the foundations of our hope begin to rust. Choking fear, screaming sound, as a reaper comes to ground. You turn to face it down because you must. And when the world is Yeah, so five chapters, long, long read this week. What did you guys think of these chapters? Lots going on. I, f- I feel like every time we do these chapters, I'm just like, all right, we're learning something new about hemology, and I can't keep straight all the different things that this power can do in my head or the rules and requirements of this power. So mm. that's thrown me for a loop a bit. The stuff at the ball, I don't know, didn't, qu- didn't quite do it. As- it wasn't bad, but it didn't quite do it for me as much as the last one did. But everything else about this, the whole Saze and Breeze and Spook stuff in Urto was pretty interesting and then ended on a massive whammy at the end there. So, uh, yeah, that was a lot. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's early. What did you think of uh, of where we ended there? Um, I have many questions. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. So these chapters were, you know, a thing. Uh, we read them. They had words. I'm just, I can't tell you how little I care about the spook story. <laughs> like, uh, I thought maybe, maybe Sazed and Breeze showing up would make it more interesting. It has not. And the Quellian, I guess also because the Quellian is storyline is something we've seen before in literature more than once, possibly. It just is even less interesting to me. I know there's going to be some sort of twist on it because obviously they're, keeping alamancers and things like that, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't care less about Erto. <laughs> and then I find Yeoman really interesting, but then I feel like, ah, we don't get enough Yeoman. But he may be the first example of something we talked about a long time ago, so that'll be interesting if uh, if he is what I think he is. And then, yeah, Vin gets trapped. 
yeah. And then Vin gets trapped, so... And then, you know, Reen shows up. Or something. So I guess we're gonna see what happens? I don't know. Like like Dax said, I think I think these chapters just raise further questions. <laughs> just raises further questions. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It, it probably does in a lot of ways. And yeah, I guess we see some of Yeoman in, in the the ball chapter, but even then it's not like a whole lot of Yeoman. It's mostly Ellen like talking at Yeoman. Classic <laughs> Ellen. Yeoman did get the cla- the good whammy at the end there, so it's true. Yeah, I did like the note from Yeoman. I thought it was kind of um, definitely like a power move. He's just like, "Yo, I got your girl. You know who I'm talking about." <laughs> it's like a, it's it's a very succinct and uh, to the point uh, sort of note where he's like, "You know, just FYI." Yeah, I I liked that um, Yeoman sort of isn't just this philosophical guy that you know. Oh, we got along so well in the first chapter that we read with the two uh, interactions between the two of them. But I, yeah, we all knew that this time around was going to be different for Ellen and Vin walking into this ball. And when they started, like, it was very obvious that they were expecting them to turn up. I was like, okay, this is, something's going to happen here. I got to say, I didn't expect the last word of <laughs> this, the chapters we read um, to be Reen's name. But then I just kept thinking back to, oh my gosh, how many times did Data ask us if he ever, if we ever thought we'd see Reen again? And we've, yeah, <laughs> maybe we're seeing Rain again. I don't know. Maybe we're seeing someone pretending to be Rain, someone messing with Vin. I don't know. But um, I think it's pretty cool what Yeoman managed to do and telling Ellen that as well. I, yeah, Spook, I'm kind of an, just, something needs to happen there in his storyline now. It's like every time I read something about his chapter, I'm like, Okay, I get it. You're super strong and you've got super good te- uh, senses and <laughs> like, yeah, okay, wonderful. Oh, I moved with this strong push of my pewter and blah, blah, blah. Yep, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Do something else with it now. I'm kind of excited that Zazed and, and Breeze have seen it now and I think that's going to be good because that's going to prompt questions and hopefully sort of get to the bottom of that a little bit. And I'm also just really glad that some of our characters got together and spoke about hemology and what we learned about the colos last week and set was pretty annoying going what's your point like what what more point are you looking for set this is pretty groundbreaking information (laughs) what what's your problem but i'm glad that characters are actually starting to talk to each other about it and i'm glad we had that little throwback to wait just remember ruin can hear what we're what we're talking about so you know be interesting to see what's come up and what's going to be a problem going forward but definitely left us on a bit of a cliffhanger which is nice I'd forgotten that in the first book, it because she talks or thinks about Reen so much in the first book that I was like, yeah, I mean, what, what do you guys think of this character that, you know, we're going to see him? We, he gets talked about so much and never shows up. And then we we get to the end of the book and it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's dead. And everyone's like, yeah, OK, well, nobody really cared. Nobody really wanted to see Reen that badly. You guys were like, it sounds like an asshole. So I don't need to see him. Yeah, also, that's probably yeah. a good place for him to be. Yeah. yeah. And he got captured by the Inquisitors. They had no reason to lie about killing him. So. Right? Oh, uh, well. That, you know, Carr. Who, who knew? Who knows what was going on in that guy's head? He's gone now. Yeah. Uh, but, I don't know. Spook was never my favorite character, but I like the Erto chapters in for Sazed and Breeze, if nothing else, because uh, Sazed has always been a character that we really liked, and he's sad now, and so seeing, like, what happens with that is interesting to me, at least. I mean, the Quellian stuff is at least... I think it's at least interesting because we do have the direct comparison between it and Yeoman 
in this book. Like you've got the parallels between the ultimate noble society and the ultimate scar society mm-hmm. going on at the same time. So it's like it's kind of nice to be bouncing back and forth between that and comparing the two and seeing, you know what? They both suck. But honestly, like <laughs> aside from the fact that the nobles are almost certainly killing their scar and doing the usual what whatever they used to do, the noble society actually seems like it's probably better for the scar, as dirty as that sounds, because uh, scar society under Quellian is pretty shit. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem to be improving. It seems to be going the other way. So yeah, yeah. So I, I don't. Quellian's okay. Quellian's interesting enough to me, I guess. And what's going? And the city is kind of interesting because you know it's like this Venice sort of city that got drained. So that's like a, that's cool conceptually. But uh, yeah, spooks like internal conflict. I'm I'm not. I don't hate him as much as like Joe. But I'm just like, eh, it's not the most interesting thing to me. It's. It's interesting in that if you actually believe that this is Ruin that he's talking to, it's like this is possibly the only direct indication we get of Ruin's agenda. I guess Marsh's chapters would count also as like a direct indication of what Ruin is trying to accomplish. But with Spook, it's like if if that's Ruin, he has a line directly to him and and is being manipulated into doing certain things. And Vin and Ellen wish that they had that much information about Ruin and what's going on. True. And oh. I think it's good now that we know what we know about what's just happened to Penrod as well. Mm-hmm. Like, Ruin is clearly doing this to a lot of different people. So it's sort of a case of you don't know who's under Ruin's influence anyway. It could be someone you trust. could be someone in a position of high power. Like, I totally get and and uh, appreciate where that's that's all coming from. I just – I'm just annoyed with Spook <laughs> as a person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mostly his uh, it really bothers me when how bad he is with uh, about girls. But that's been true from the beginning. So at least it's very in character. <laughs> it's just like, oh, dude, have a brain. Like, I know you're a teenage boy, but come on, man. I guess because we're seeing inside his head, his head this time around where just it's more omnipresent. It's like, oh, yeah, you really have issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The boy has issues. What are you going to do? Okay. I mean, I, I, mean, mean. <laughs> I spotted it ages ago, you know? It's not like <laughs> not like any of this is news to me. Let's get into these five chapters this week. The first epigraph is I guess I thought it was explained already, but it, it kind of lays it out. It's like, by the way, you need five people to make a coloss. We we talked about this last week, where it's like basically you need four people to murder with spikes, and then a fifth guy to shove all the spikes in. And you get, like, this monster that's a combination of five people, but, like, their souls. And then, on the other hand, you get the two spikes that give Conjurer their blessings. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Yeah. Hemalurgy is a hell of a thing. And so, yeah, then we get into the discussion, and Ellen's like, so, yeah, I mean, nobody knew how Inquisitors were made. And they kind of hit some of the things that Mark, because the only evidence we had, or they had, was the very few things Marsh told them back in the first book. And then Set just keeps, like Jamie said, Set keeps interrupting, like, yeah, why do we care? Like, Inquisitors aren't here, so why do we care? I mean, he does he does have a point. It's like, look, we're fighting a battle right here, right now. What do the Inquisitors have to do with that? So I guess that's kind of a valid point, but that also raises the question of uh, why aren't there any Inquisitors here? They've had a hard-on for them at all the other, at all the other places, so, mm-hmm. yeah. That might not be good. Yeah, but he needs yeah. to see the relevance of the bigger picture, too. Like it's, oh, okay, yes, absolutely. So we're talking about being stabbed with spikes. Well, we've just now found out there's another two beings stabbed with spikes that we are dealing with, well, at least one of them, dealing with very regularly. So it is important that we understand why this is and, you know, that 
where we're assuming things are sort of happening randomly, but it's not. There are patterns in there and that could give us more clues as to what's actually going on and what Ruin's agenda is. And I just, oh, I can't stand people like that that are just like, but why? Like, I, I don't, I, it doesn't affect me, so it's not important. It's like, but it is important. It is affecting you. You're just too narrow-minded to see it. Well, yeah, because like what you just said, that's the second thing that, that comes up where Norton's like, okay, we also have this evidence that who's being stricken by Miss Sickness is not random, that there's purposeful, there's something happening here. And Seth's once again, it's like, okay, whatever. And I was like, oh, dude. And they're like, look, this is an indication of our ultimate enemy, the thing that we're really fighting and what they're trying to do. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's annoying. But honestly, I feel like Set should be the first one to recognize that, okay, Alamancy, super powerful and useful. Ferrochemy, super powerful and useful. Now we have a third kind of magic. Is this not maybe something that you would want to get a handle on how it works to use it on your own side if it was possible? Or at least understand how your enemies are potentially using it. Like, it's kind of important. But whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of picture they're having the conversation and they're the guardians of the galaxy. And Set is Groot at the moment. <laughs> the teenage Groot sitting there playing his game. And he's like, I'm Groot. And it's like, really? <laughs> I like that's, this. That's all I see. <laughs> this is the best picture ever. And now I'm like, so does that make does that make Ellen like Peter or does it make Ellen like Rocket? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Rocket's got to be Ham. He's the one who's been spending the most time with him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am set. <laughs> <laughs> now they just need Vin Diesel to play set, and everything will be good. Well, we've already got a Vin in this book, but it's not quite the same. It's true. Vin Diesel could not play Vin. I wouldn't. I don't think that movie <laughs> would play work well. So. <laughs> that would definitely change things up a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. But I like I like the third or fourth time that Seth's like, okay, what's the point of all this? Ham's like, well, it seems to be annoying you, so isn't that good enough? <laughs> My boy. And they talk about how Colossus, they're like, hey, we discovered how Colossus are made. They're made from people. And Seth's like, that's dumb. No, they're not. It's like, yes, they, they, they are. Pay attention. And this and that's where we get into, hey, here's how this, because Seth's like, okay, yeah, whatever. What's your point? Again. And it's like, well, look, we can control the Conjure with Alamancy and the Coloss with Alamancy. So if Inquisitors are the same thing, maybe we can control them. Do we really have to spell it all out for you? This logic seems flawed to me because it's, I mean, and, and and granted, granted she never tried and she didn't know about this bike, but it's like, does that mean she could have controlled Zane? Like, I don't know. It doesn't mm. seem, it, it seems, uh, it doesn't seem exactly copacetic. Well, and I think we've talked about, like, I think Dax theorized that maybe it's easier for Ruin to control people if they have more spikes. So maybe that could come into play also. Well, but Ellen... talk about it here that um, Marsh was, like, he seemed okay initially, and then as time went by, so it could mm -hmm. be a more spike yeah. thing, or it, could, or it could be a time spent with a spike in it. Right. Well, and Ellen's concern is not so much, like, we could maybe control them. It's like, so maybe this thing is controlling them. And what we thought were random, like, Coloss movements or things like that, maybe they're not so random. Maybe there's a reason, and we need to look into that. Do we – I just want to check my understanding. So the spikes that go into Inquisitors, they have to kill an Alamancer or a Mistborn or something to transfer that power. Yeah. But for the Coloss and the Kandra, isn't it – they don't have to have gone through an Alamancer or a Ferrochemist. It's just – 
like, like regular people are fine because there's that sliver of preservation. Yeah. Just people. It's, so, it's not giving them an allomancy power or a ferrochemy power. So it doesn't have to be somebody with that power. It's the regular people still have some energy in there that can be used. Especially just sentience. Yeah. So, so we sort of know, we know that there's a bit of a difference in that. Anyway, I mean, they probably haven't figured that out yet, but we know that that's a bit different. So by saying we can control them with, you know, a huge allomantic pulse, mm. just because it works on the Chandra and the Colos doesn't mean it's going to work on the Inquisitors either. Yeah. It's definitely worth a try, but I don't I don't think you achieve the same result, really. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to hard to say for sure, but yeah, it's, there's a distinct possibility that you're right. It seems like there's more or different energy involved when you're killing magical people to give magical powers than just normal people, but it's hard to say. Mm. It, just, it just seems like we really need to identify how the whole transfer of powers thing worked because it says, oh, it needs to go through the heart of someone who has those powers in order to give them to an Inquisitor, but then where the spike goes on their body also determines what power they get. Mm-hmm. That that confuses me. Well, and I, when you think about it with a misting, I agree that you're like, well, but you already know what power it's going to be. If you think about it with like a full ferrochemist or a full mistborn, then maybe it makes a little more sense because you're killing them with the spike which means you could be taking any of the many powers they have. But uh, then, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because there has to be something to determine. If you're only getting one, which one is it? Yeah. Also, like, they've made a point that uh, the different types of metal that the spike is also makes a difference. I'm like, oh, this yep. is yep. way more complicated than I thought it was. <laughs> right. Which means for like someone like Spook to have had pewter, like the ability to burn pewter put on him, it had to be the right metal through the right spot and into Spook in the right spot. Yep. Like you, you had to have all of those three line up. So for someone to get this power by accident is really, really bizarre. Mm. But we also then just learnt that Ruin was guiding Marsh's hand as well. So there's probably less chance involved than what we think too. Yeah, we may have well, what looked like chance may have been Ruin specifically recruiting Spook. Mm. Well, Spook got it just by some random dude in the square though. Well, was I mean, it random? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was. It was during the a guy during the stabbing in the him. street. Right, yeah, one of the one of the thug soldiers who was sent out to fight him, who worked for Quellian, uh, gave him a good stabbing through another guy. So. And who's to say that guy doesn't have a spike and was getting instructions from from his own Kelsier voice, going, "Oh, make it look like it's an accident, make you look scared and run away and blah blah blah." Like, who's to say it didn't line up that way? Mm, indeed. I guess. Sorry, this... jumped really far ahead. I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's still a lot of things that have to, like, even if he's trying to do that, that's like, have to make sure the right guy is between him and Spook in order to do it. Like, that's, I mean, it's possible, yeah. but, wow, low odds. Like, I just assumed it was an accident, and somewhere Ruin is just, sit, like, sitting there at his desk or, wait, you know, getting reports from his Inquisitors, and all of a sudden he feels a new connection to someone. It's like, who the hell is that? And looks at <laughs> his goes, oh, holy shit, it's my birthday, I got this guy. <laughs> I mean, it could be an accident, for sure. It's just, it's it seems like really long odds. So... Who knows? And and I mean, we're also assuming, because of what we've seen so far, that Ruin can't affect the world more physically, like that he couldn't be like using some sort of energy to physically shove somebody right where he wants them or a sword point a little bit to the side right where he wants it. Because so far, what we've seen is he has other people do that sort of thing, right? Like That's why he has Marsh out there stabbing people. But mm. we don't know for sure that's not possible. But anyway, so after this meeting breaks up, uh, and we don't have to listen to Set Complaint anymore, where you touch back on the fact that uh, Demu and the other Mistfallen, as they're being called, 
are being kind of ostracized within the army. They're like, well, do we work on reintegration? Do we not? Because it's turned into a kind of a problem. And I don't know that we ever actually, uh, yeah. Okay. So Ellen, Ellen says, he's like, let's fill a separate company with the mist fallen for right now. And worry about reintegration after we beat Fadrix. And that that's when, flawed. well, yeah, but I mean, Damu kind of brings up, like, he's like, look, it, it depends because on the one hand, integration would be good if we have the time for it. But if we don't have the time for it, then it's going to be a problem to try to force it that quickly, which makes sense to me, at least. I mean, it, it does it does make sense. And, you know, in the heat of battle, I guess you want you want people who will trust the person next to them rather than someone um, they don't entirely. But I don't know. Even so, it still makes me think it's like, all right, if they succeed in everything, you can have this one random company of ostracized people. And like they're they're going to be stuck with that wherever they go. Yeah. For some reason, it makes me think of the the trailer for that new Star Wars cartoon, the Bad Batch one. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. These are going to be the 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 clone troopers who are uh, we're just no good. We're nothing but trouble. I don't think it looks like a great trailer. And I I I think I mentioned in uh, when when some people were talking about it, I'm like, look, whenever a writer has a character come out and be like, we're nothing but trouble, I'm like, okay, you're just trying too hard. But anyway, but then uh, Conrad shows up, who's not a guy that we've met before, I don't think. And uh, he brings news from Luthadel. And I was like, well, it's about damn time. Where's like the supplies that I sent back Luthadel for? And the dude's like, supplies? No, the king sent me to ask you for stuff. Like, We need more people. People, the, the food stores have been looted. And I was like, what the? F- I left him like an entire garrison of men. There should have been plenty and Conrad's like i don't know what to tell you man it he says they're not enough <laughs> and ellen gets so pissy like can penrod not do one thing jeez is the um is the timeline in these books linear like like when marsh goes back to luthadel we're not jumping back in time right see that's i was actually going to mention that because it almost seems that. like we might be uh he said in one of the annotations that he tries for the most part to keep it linear so that one chapter you read is always after the previous chapter but he also says that sometimes when you're jumping back and forth to different stuff a lot, it can be difficult. So yeah, or that something possible. may be happening simultaneously or a little bit before the other thing. Right. Mm. Yeah. And uh, but then we find out that apparently lots of messengers have been sent from Penrod, and this is the only one who made it through. And it seems like there's like groups of Coloss hiding out, waiting to jump people to make sure messages aren't getting there, which Ellen thinks is a good thing. He's like, no. This is our enemy showing us that he is trying to undermine things that he doesn't want us to know. So now that we know, now that we know that he knows that we know, whatever. Um, oh, God. We can use that to our advantage. But they don't know that we know that they know. I don't know that I agree with his logic here where he's like, by stopping all our messengers from getting to us, he wants us to like run out of supplies and have to pull back. But I'm also like, but if you'd never got this message that there were people out there, would that have, would that be what you would have done? Would you be pulling back? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think he's seeing the answer that he wants to see here. Mm-hmm. Maybe we also don't know what Ruin's doing. To be fair, so maybe he's right. Yeah. I mean, so so far what we do know about Ruin is he hasn't sent Inquisitors and rival Kolos groups to Fadrex to take on Ellen. So he's probably just right. sitting there waiting for waiting for all this to play out. So yeah, maybe. We don't know a lot about his goals, except for I think we were told that his overall goal is to, like break things down. We get a bit more in the Marsh chapter. Mm, that's true. That's a fair point. I wasn't there yet, so my brain wasn't there yet. 
But Vin says or thinks what we have been kind of saying for a while. That's like, look, at this point, there's no turning back. There's not enough time. There, there's no time to reorganize and replan and do this stuff again. This is it. We're committed to what we're doing now as the world falls apart around us. And we end the chapter with her staring out at the mist and being like, why did you help me one time and never again? Am I crazy? Did you ever even help me at all? We were there. We saw it. It's fine. You're not crazy, Vin. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so then our second epigraph is talking about hemallergic spikes change people depending on what powers are granted and how many spikes someone has. And we found out that Inquisitors, obviously, I mean, it says their brains are rearranged to accommodate the spikes. I think we probably could have guessed that because something had to be going on there. Their hearts are also in different places. It's like if you shoved a spike through an Inquisitor's heart, like what powers would you take from them? Mm, this is a good question. Like, can you, if someone only has a power because of a spike, can you steal it with another spike? Or do you have to like rip that one spike out of them and try to use it yourself? Hmm, gross. <laughs> And I like it. it points out, it's like, actually, you might think the conjures change the most, but actually they don't because they were mistraths. So they're basically the same thing. They're just more human, kind of, while the Kolos become less human. And we cut to say is just fascinated by this evolution of the survivor religion. They're adding new survivors. And he's like, well, I mean, they could just there, there might be a succession of survivors. and This will be a whole like thing. And Breeze is like, dude, can you stop, please? Like, I thought you wanted me to. Well, yeah, that was before I knew that you were going to talk about it for like a day and a half. Jeez. <laughs> this made me really happy that Sazed found something about religion that he was excited about. Right? It was like, oh, it's a glimmer of old Sazed. He's excited. Oh. He's happy. It didn't last long, but it was nice to see. Uh, yeah, I miss old Sazed. New Sazed is kind of sad, and it's it's not as fun. Like, they're going to watch the execution, and Breeze is like, geez, where is Quellian anyway? If I miss lunch because of this, I will be rather annoyed. Oh, Breeze. Don't have a change. We actually get, I I, I just have to mention, we get to see some pretty positive character stuff out of Ulrian in this chapter. So I don't know how uh, Jamie especially is going to react to that. Yeah, look, I can dislike her as a person and as a character, but accept that she has the moment. That's fine. Fair enough. And look, I I actually hope she has some character growth. That would be nice because she's just annoying and shallow and stuff (laughs) in what we've seen before. But if she actually contributes and makes herself useful, I'm down with that. That's okay. Well, you have to wonder what's going through her head in this city where people can only wear certain approved colours. And she's like, fucking what? Have you seen my wardrobe? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if – I can't imagine that they're enforcing that on the visitors. Although when Breeze goes out, he does dress down. They do seem to be a bit lenient about the... I know Quellian said, I'll hang around if you want, just don't cause any trouble. But even so, like, they really don't seem to have been opposed in any way by Quellian's guys. Right. I I think Quellian may have even said, like, make sure you follow our laws, which would include the color thing. So maybe she's not worth starting a fight with 250 trained troops over there. I guess. You have to imagine that Quellian's army is probably not that, uh, that trained. Quellian is like King Julian from Madagascar. He's like, he's got a bigger crown. <laughs> and his crown's got a gecko on it, and it, it dances. Dance gecko. And he's really excited. So every time he comes out with a new color, it's like, oh, <laughs> look at me showing off again. <laughs> that's true, because this is the chapter where it's like, oh, that's a new color that only he's allowed to wear, basically. Like, oh, he, he wears blue. <laughs> uh, but we cut to Spook, or actually we cut to Kelsier saying, well, you're going to have to kill him. Which, yeah, that's a familiar refrain. Yeah. Spook's like, I don't know about this. And Kelsey's like, no, no, you got this, man. You've been training. You, you fighting all sorts of people. You're good. 
And when Spook needs encouragement, he's like, hey, just ask yourself, what would I do if I were there? What would Kelsier do? WWKD, kid, come on. And Spook's like, I'm not you, though. And he's like, not yet, which is exactly what Spook wants to hear. So, yeah, Spook kind of beats up some guys. He does pretty well. I like these people are being ushered in there and uh, they're like, no, please don't don't burn us. At least take the child as the soldiers like sneak in through the secret passage to pull out the one uh, the one important person, the one presumably Alan answer. They're like, no, take the child. Nah, got to burn to death. Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. And Kelsier screams, kill them. And Spook uh, takes them down. He like what? There's uh, there's four of them, I think. And Spook takes down like three of them relatively quickly here. And the only thing that uh, stops him from taking out the fourth one is that uh, the fourth one decides instead of fighting, what I'm going to do is grab the kid and be like, nope, don't, don't stay away from me or I'll kill the kid. Which I, I don't know. I guess that's it always goes back to my mind of like when when bad guys start fighting Batman and after he takes out like 12 of them. The 13th guy is like, oh, I'll get him. <laughs> and so this is better than that, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, how do you see this ending well for you? You should have just run. The door is right there. I guess it's like they don't want to admit to their boss that they failed. Yeah, probably. I mean, especially with the Batman stuff. Like, what would you rather like, get your skull kicked in by Batman or go tell the Joker you've messed up? OK, well, no, that's actually a good point that I hadn't considered yet. Okay. <laughs> And then Spook's solution to this uh, standoff here is, you know, he's told everyone else to leave. And he's like, when you're gone, bar the door and trap us in this burning building. And they do it. They're like, all right. I mean, whatever you say, dude. I did like um, Spook's logic here when, like, the soldier's like, look, I'll kill the girl. And Spook says, and if you do, there is absolutely nothing stopping me from getting to you. Uh Go ahead. Flip that coin. (laughs) And so, I mean... As soon as the door locks, the soldier drops her. He's like, no! And uh, then Spook bashes him and knocks him out. And he's like, oh, okay, I got the kid, but what am I going to do with this guy? He's still alive. And Kelsey's like, ah, let him die. He would have let all those people die. And really, I'm not sure that Spook had an option here. Yeah, it didn't exactly have time. He barely gets out as it is. And if your choice is between the innocent child and uh, the guy working for Quellian to murder people, I mean, you know. And then we cut to outside where Sazed and the crew are watching, and they're like, man, this is this is messed up. Not that long ago, we were watching the Lord Ruler cut off the heads of innocent people, and now we just took over the job for him, basically. And Breeze is like, yeah, Kelsier thought that it was the nobleman, that if we got rid of them, things like this wouldn't happen. But it's just people, dog. Yep. Turns out people suck in general. And then Sazed starts growing outraged and realizes that it is Arian. And she is rioting the crowd up to be angry at Quellian. And Breeze is like, Arian, it's not the time. And she says, why not? He deserves it. I could make this crowd rip him apart. Which is, oh, geez, we got a little cold there, but good on you, I guess, Arian. And Breeze is like, no, no, we're not. We haven't prepared enough to take control. And she's like, you're never done preparing, Breeze. So apparently she's powerfully affected by seeing what she's seeing. Which, I don't know, is maybe in some way ironic because... They already killed all the, like, full-blooded noblemen off. So these are Ska that are being killed now, more or less. And she must have killed or seen killed a lot of Ska in her time, I would think, given who Set is. So I'm surprised Doesn't me she agreed with it, though. That's fair. Yeah. You know, we assume that all the nobility were, like, on board with that situation. But it sounded like most of them weren't. But it was fear. Go along with it. Yeah. Maybe you're right. She's, I mean, 
when she first met Vin, it she she found Vin as a sky. She's like, oh, you poor thing. That explains so much. And it wasn't like she looked down on her really. She was just like, I, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe out where she grew up, there wasn't. Uh, maybe she wasn't even exposed to ska that much. I have no clue. I guess she's like really just you know she's hung around with these people for so long and she's been told no no ska are people just like you and me and she's sort of taken that on board and now she just sees it as just it's not ska or noble it's just people dying needlessly and horrifically. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe she's already changed. Maybe she's had some character development off page. <laughs> Maybe. Not that she's not still walking around in the dresses and making like Captain Gordell carry a parasol for her, but. <laughs> I mean, she hasn't been as bad this book as she was in the last, so. No. But then anyway, I feel like we just also haven't seen as much of her, really. Like even the scene she's been in, she's kind of just taken a back seat, let everyone else do the talking. Yeah, it's true. But then they see someone burst out of a boarded up window on the top of the building, and jump out and do like a, a Iron Man superhero landing from a two story fall. And it takes them a moment, but they realize who it is that has jumped out of this building holding a coughing child in his arms. And Breeze is like, ah, oh, shit. Orian, we're going to need that riot after all. <laughs> and between Breeze soothing and Orian rioting, they really can control this crowd uh, well. As soon as this happened and, like, Spook busted out, landed amongst the crowd, he stands there, like, with the child in his arms, staring at Quellian with the blindfold over his arm. I've just gone... The Kelsier uh, ghost asked him, oh, what would I do? And of course the answer is something over fucking dramatic. Yep, that is exactly what Kelsier <laughs> would have done. <laughs> just popped out and gone, boom, you looking for this? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, that's that's the end of the chapter. Spook runs off after a moment of staring at Quillian and uh, Breeze is like, well, that was unexpected. That was somewhat unexpected, as if he's like, OK, no, I mean, it's not totally out of the ordinary. But <laughs> no, no, I, I, I sort of saw that coming. I thought something would happen, <laughs> whereas he was just like, oh, yeah, nothing's going to happen, guys. This is some total bullshit. Well, I think they were expecting something to happen. They were expecting to see this survivor of the flames. They just didn't really think it was going to be spook. Yeah, I don't blame them for that. <laughs> I don't know. Like right before the like spook popped out, Breeze was just like, a, well, this was a waste of time. Nothing happened. Nothing's going to happen. Let's go. Mm, yeah. Weren't they sent there about answers of the survivor? Yeah, but what yeah, Breeze says something like, I don't think those guys knew what they were talking about. Right as Spook pops yeah. out. The Bruce next episode. up too easily. Yeah, he gets up too easily. <laughs> He's lazy. What do you want? And he was like, I don't want to miss my lunch. <laughs> it's lunchtime, guys. Priorities. Yeah. <laughs> but the next epigraph I find really interesting because we find out that the Lord Ruler had a plan for the Kolos to kill themselves off after he was gone because they didn't know. And he had no idea that they would figure out that they could like reuse the spikes that they had. So given how quickly the Coloss kill each other, he thought they would kill themselves off. It really reminds me of Jurassic park. Actually, <laughs> it's like we programmed in a lysine deficiency so that if they ever escape, they'll die really quickly. We didn't anticipate that, Hey, they can find plants rich in lysine and survive that way. Life finds a way. And I like the theory here that maybe reusing those spikes so much made the Coloss more human. And then we get Marsh's chapter, which is pretty short. Ruin has him going into Luthadel, sneaking into Luthadel basically on the rooftops. And he's looking for King Penrod. He's got that little spike that he made not long ago. He didn't want to give Penrod powers. He just needed to pierce him with metal. 
So it seems like for this, they didn't use just some random human. He hunted down a guy with allomantic powers and was uh, smoker? to get the spike. Yeah, it was that smoker, yeah. Yeah. Also, we've just kind of glazed over, like, the uh, the bomb that got dropped in this chapter. It's like, no, there is something specifically that Ruin is after that preservation has taken from him, and he hasn't found it yet. Yep. So, like, Inquisitors everywhere are searching for this thing. It's like, oh, there it is. There's Ruin's motivation. He wants the one ring. Oh, wait, no. They searched for the thing that Ruin desired above all others, the thing preservation had taken from him. Ooh. My man witch. <laughs> As my sandwich also appreciated in value. Didn't even refrigerate it, you filthy crab. So I, I like that he goes in and he starts a fight with Penrod. But Rowan's like, no, no, you have to make it look good. You have to, you can't beat him real fast. I know you could, but you, you, we can't have that. We have to make it look like he's standing his, his ground here. And Marsh's like, this is really hard. Like, I'm an Inquisitor. I got these two axes. He's just a normal dude. Whatever. And Ruin has to guide his hand. Dude, just right. you're, you're making me look bad. You're making me look like an inefficient inquisitor. <laughs> this is not okay. And like, yeah, the guards show up, and he's and Ruin's like, okay, now act frightened and get ready, and then run away. And it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm supposed to be scared of some yeah. guards. Okay. And I Tomorrow just he's going to be talking to Ruin. Bad actor. <laughs> Marsh is just a bad. That would be hilarious. <laughs> he's like, like oh, oh no, oh, now I'm scared. Run away. <laughs> But he, he, Ruin has to guide his hand to shove the spike just right into the guy's heart and then run out the window. And later he's just hanging outside that same window and listening. <laughs> it's not hard for him to get here. Doing his evil Batman thing, hanging upside down. And the surgeons are like, oh man, this got really close to your heart. And Mark's, Mark's like, you mean in his heart, dummy. And they can't pull it out because it starts bleeding a lot more when they pull it out. So they're like, I think we might just have to leave this in. And Penrod's like, actually, I feel pretty good. And that is how he gets, uh, uh, he got Ruin tapped into the king of the central dominance. And it's, it ends, it's like, look, so he, he, he they leave the spike, he'd pretty much just forget that it was there, and then he would be Ruins as surely as any Inquisitor. So apparently, Marsh at least thinks that one spike is plenty for what they want. And I, I, I like this epigraph where it's like, look, hemorrhagy's gross and stuff, but it's actually hard not to be impressed. There's the subtlety and skill with Allomancy and Ferrochemy, but the art of hemallergy is knowing where to put the spikes. It's a very different kind of subtlety and skill from the other two. Then we cut to Ellen and Vin heading to the party, and Vin has sensed that Yeoman's Mistborn is following them. And they, they have one of those, like, oh no, he, he knows that I know he's there, so we're like studying each other now. But he's not going to attack while, the two, while there's two Mistborn to one. He would prefer to avoid those odds, which, yeah, that would be smart. Not, 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 not to bring up the fact that the first time Vin fought a Mistborn, she attacked two Mistborn uh, when it was just herself in her underwear. But whatever. She's learned since then. It's fine. And so the plan is that Ellen is going to confront Yeoman and gather an audience of nobility to watch their fight because that's what they like. And Vin will sneak off and do the sneakiness. And really, I think Jamie had a really good point, but it's just she called from the very beginning and i think like everybody probably said something similar where it's like if they go to a second ball yeoman and his people are going to be more prepared for them they'll be expecting it this time vin and ellen don't seem to have anticipated that they think that it'll be just as easy and they'll surprise everyone and do whatever they want and they have no no thought that maybe yeoman has planned for what we're doing they underestimate him a lot is what i'm saying yeah it was it was just it was so easy the first time. 
But it makes me think that, okay, it's only a couple of weeks since they went to the other ball. Surely, I mean, it's not like in the last two weeks they've gone, oh, okay, they're obviously going to try and get to the, the cash. That's that's the only reason. Or they've planned it that far and ahead to, to, to make them go, okay, we know this is what they're looking for. Let's, we're going to trap them. This is how they're going to do it. They're going to divide up and just they've had no control over the situation. I don't know. It's all very clever. And Ellen revealed that they knew where the, they knew the cash was here and that's what they were interested in to Yeoman. So it seems like yeah. maybe should have expected that he knew where you were trying to go. Yeah. And I mean, I think to an extent, like Vin, Vin was like, look, if I was, if I was Yeoman, I would have had people tailing me and then realized she was being tailed. So it's like, okay, they're not not suspicious of us. There, there's something definitely up, but I think they just underestimated how how much was up, you know. And Vin obviously didn't tell who Yeoman was either, so it's all a bit scary and interesting. Hmm. They go in, they got a uh, Vin runs into Slow Swift, her old buddy, and she's like, "Yeah, I thought you didn't go to these things." And he's like, "Well, I come when the king has one." And then she kind of whispers, like, I need two men, ones that you trust against Yeoman, and have them meet me in a, sp- in a specific place. And this is after she notices that there's two women tailing her. So she's like, she needs something. She she, has, she comes up with a plan to deal with them. She calls them courtly puffs. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> I feel like she's used that term for some of these types of women before. Yeah, she. I think she called Orianna puff piece when she first met her or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Orianna. Vin still probably doesn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> and so she goes uh, She goes out there. to. She she gets closer to recommend a place that no one will notice them. And she goes out there, and of course the women have to follow because they're tailing her. And she does. And now that we know what's coming at the end of the next chapter, this whole little recap here of who Reen is and how she doesn't think about him anymore just seems a bit more, oh yeah, it's yep. just your reminder. Yep. And it's, there's actually a bit in the annotations where he's like, I hope I wasn't too obvious with increased references to Reen in the last couple chapters. A few of the alpha readers noticed it, but I think it's subtle enough that I decided to leave it in. And it's funny because Angela was reading this chapter and talking about it in the Discord not long ago. And she, she was talking as she was reading it. And she's like, man, he's talking about Reen a lot. I wonder why that is. And then it was like, oh, when she got to the end of the thing. <laughs> but then, like kind of knocks them out with Duralumin fueled pushing on their emotions, which is, I think a first, I don't know that we've seen something like that or she like, she makes them fall down a little bit. At least she, she soothes them so hard that they like collapse. And then, uh, she walks up and elbows one of them in the stomach and slams her face into the table and then like chokes the other one out. It's kind of hardcore. And the two guys have showed up and she's like, okay, stash these two in the bushes. And they're like, um, what? And she's like, just do what I say or leave. I don't have time to argue. And Brandon even has in one of the annotations a uh, the history of these two guys, which is like, okay, that's not really super necessary. But they're cousins of Slow Swift, whose uh, mother was executed by the Steel Ministry for dallying with a ska serving man because after her husband had passed away some years before. And her sons inherited the title and everything, but they have not forgotten that uh, the ministry and yeoman in particular were behind killing their mom. So kind of interesting. It's it's something that I don't know that we'd ever discussed before, but 
there would be a difference in how people react. Because, like, male noblemen can sleep with Scott women and have them executed, and there's no chance of having a half-breed child, which is the illegal part. But it doesn't work for female noblemen that same way, which in a way is a mean double standard. But at the same time, it's like, well, it's kind of logical at the same, you know, because one time is all you need uh, to potentially get pregnant and then it's a problem. So kind of harsh. And we cut to, okay, we cut to Ellen and Yeoman arguing (laughs) and Ellen's like, yeah, a duel for the city. Why not? And Yeoman's like, uh, because you're a misborn and I'm not. What kind of asshole are you? And Ellen's like, yeah, choose a champion. I'll fight him instead. And Yeoman's like, well, I would need a Mistborn, and I don't have one of those. And Ellen's like, aha, liar. Okay. <laughs> so do we think, based on what happens later, that Ellen, that Yeoman is a Mistborn, like Ellen has decided? Or do we think that, because we know Yeoman has a Mistborn, is he his own Mistborn? Or does he have another one and he's lying to Ellen here? Well, the implication from the later chapter is that is that Rain is... Yeoman's misborn, but he may not be. Like, Rain just might be out and about for his own sake or whatever. And I think Joe was getting uh, at this at the start. I don't think Yeoman is a misborn. I think he actually just might be a misting and all he can burn is adium. We've talked before about how there might be people who can only burn that one metal. Yeah. So I think that I think that's where I think that's where Yeoman sits on the scale. Yeah, all the way back to the first book when we found out about adium, because they said that there are no mistings for a golden adium. But they also said there were only 10 metals. So all the way back then, you guys were like, I bet maybe there's mistings for Adium. I just would find it a bit strange, like if Vin, for how alert she is, and in case anyone's forgotten, she can pierce copper clouds. If Yeoman was a mistborn, I find it a little bit strange that she wouldn't have picked that up already. Mm. That's true. Although in the previous section where she's chasing Yeoman's mistborn, she's like, he didn't just turn on a copper cloud and get away from me like a normal Mistborn does. Whoever this is, stop burning metals entirely. And that's when she's like, maybe they know about what I can do. So if Yeoman it's does true. know that she can pierce copper clouds, he wouldn't be using any elements here around her. That's true. Only when he absolutely has to. Right, yeah. But I like the the they the keep arguing and the chapter ends with uh, Ellen being like, I can keep doing this for a while. If there's one thing I learned growing up in my father's house, it's how to annoy people. <laughs> Oh, Ellen, you nut. He's just doing the Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He's just holding the floor for as long as he can. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, and then we get our final epigraph, which is that each spike positioned very carefully determines how the body is changed by the hemolurgy. In one place, you get a mindless beast. In another place, you get a crafty yet homicidal inquisitor. And so we find out that basically Rashek used knowledge that he got from ascending at the well of ascension to figure out how to play spikes to make the servants he wanted and he developed these three creatures it says during those brief moments that he held the power and in the in the thousand years since then the inquisitors have been working on uh, trying to develop new breeds of servants with hemolurgy and never managed to create anything new that was useful i guess so it's a finicky art that uh no one apparently can tell you how to use exactly. I mean, I guess now they know how to make Inquisitors in Coloss and uh, maybe even Conjura, but that's because of the knowledge that the Lord Ruler got. Like, nobody knows how to do this. It's all trial and error, which is gross, since every trial requires at least one dead person. So in the, uh, yeah, in the annotations, it mentions that 
during Vin's infiltration here, Yeoman had the two obvious spies watching her, but also some less obvious spies that she did not notice. And those spies saw what happened with the other spies and then follow her down into the bowels of this building as she goes, which is pretty impressive since she is a misborn and has tin and things to notice these sort of things. And yeah, in this chapter, the, the Reen references start coming pretty heavy. She's thinking about all these things that Reen taught her. She finds two guards waiting, kind of guarding, I guess, outside of here. And she tries to, she starts rioting them to, or soothing first and then rioting to get them annoyed so that they will leave. And then she's like, oh, wait, I'll try this Duralumin thing again and pulls on them super hard. And I'm trying to see if it says what she pulled on. She was pulling on, like, riding their anger and irritability. So I guess that's what she continues riding when she does the Duralumin. But uh, a lot of argument starts, and the guards in the corridor hear it, and they rush away to find the source of the disturbance. And then she, they leave two guys behind. She has to riot them also. This, She's uh, using a lot of emotional allomancy and really obviously here. She's usually good about being subtle, but I guess that's not working well enough. And then she finds it. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say she's she's just freaking out because she doesn't have enough time to be be too subtle. But it's like, I need to get these people out of the way. I need to do it quickly. All right, here we go. Dural Lumen it is. And she's in a hurry. And she finds the door to the storage cavern. The rock mountings have been torn apart and the door forced open. And it's just slightly open. It's like, wow, it must have been really hard. They had to rip open this whole wall, basically, to get this door open. But she's not sure why. She's like, he has a Mistborn. The Mistborn could have opened it with steel. And so she sneaks in there. And then the door shuts behind her. And then we jump back to Elend, who has gotten... Apparently, because Yeoman is like has this philosophical bent like Ellen did and knows all these same authors, they can discuss things... It's gotten a little bit, uh, their argument has become less entertaining and more philosophical and based on, like, minutiae of these historical texts. And so people are getting bored, basically. I just love how Yeoman is like, oh, I'm actually interested in in this. And Nolan's just like, damn it, this is not how I wanted this to go. <laughs> and they, the conversation turns to the terrorist people and how, like, they're favored servants. And I was like, well, yeah, but they get neutered for that. So maybe that's not great. And Yoma's like, whatever, I can quote you all these sources of terrorismen who said that it was great being a eunuch. And it was like, okay, well, all right, whatever. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to say at that point? They probably aren't allowed to write books about how much it sucks being a eunuch. So. Yeah, Rashek wouldn't have stood for that. Oh, well. And Ellen's actually kind of regretful. He's like, oh, man, if only I knew this guy before, we could have had some cool discussions. Except that since he was an obligator and I'm kind of a revolutionary, I guess it would have ended up with me being executed. But still. Uh, and then screaming starts, and uh, soldiers show up carrying a dazed and bloodied young woman in a ball gown. And Yeoman's like, wait a second, where's the Empress? And things go to hell. And Ellen decides that this is the time to maybe try and kill him. He should have just shouted, the duel begins now! <laughs> this is a bold move that I didn't expect from Ellen. And I, he frames it as, well, there's only one way to know for sure if he's an Alamancer. But... At the same, and a paragraph later, he's like, you know, he's not going to give up the city. Well, let's try to kill him. The old Ellen would not have done this, even if he had powers. Like he's he, he wasn't the kind of guy to just try to assassinate a dude. But uh, New Ellen has learned some hard truths. So, Yeoman's dinner guests were actually two guards pretending to be dinner guests, waiting for just this moment. And then Yeoman's like, "You liar, thief, butcher, tyrant!" And then they start a fight. And 
when Ellen gets a hold of him, he's like, this guy is not super strong. Like, if he's an Alan answer, he's one hell of an actor because I could rip him up. But once he lets go of Yeoman, Yeoman uh, pulls out his own glass knife. And Ellen's like, I should be able to dodge. But he gives Ellen a couple of good cuts. And that's when he realizes this guy's burning at him. That means he's a misborn. Uh, he realizes it because he starts burning Electrum. And Yeoman's like, oh, jeez, wait, what? So maybe Yeoman doesn't know about Electrum. I don't know. Or might well, have just been... Was- that was on the the thing up in Urto, so it may not be spread around. They only found out because Vin broke into that cache. Exactly, yeah. Or it may just be that, you know, Yeoman was giving him a good slice. He could see the Adium shadows, and now he can't. There's a bunch of shadows, so that would make anyone hesitate for a moment, probably. Yeah. And Alan realizes that he needs to go. Not just because this guy has Adium, but he's given him some good cuts, and he needs some medical attention. So he's like, Vin, you're on your own. I'm out. But Vin never comes back. And Ellen's like, I'm going back to get her three hours later. And Ham's like, no, no, you can't. You're going to get yourself killed. And before they can continue that discussion, we get the letter from Yeoman that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Pretender Venture. I have heard, as you've probably guessed. There's one thing I've always noted about Mistborn. To a man, they are overconfident. Thank you for the stimulating conversation. I'm glad I was able to keep you distracted for so long. That's just rubbing it in. It's like, you thought you were distracting me. <laughs> You're funny. I was actually uh, playing you. Total boss move. It it It's some, yeah. He's trying to put Ellen in his place. And then we cut back to Vin, who's been sitting in a cavern, unable to do anything. She can't push the door open, not even with Duralumin enhanced pewter. She's like, maybe they put more rocks, like, in front of it, so that I, it's, like, impossible to budge. And now she knows why Yeoman removed the metal plates that let you open the door with Alamancy, because he doesn't want her to be able to get out. And... Then she hears something, a soft footfall, it says. And she's done some searching in here. She's been, like, looking around. So she's like, has there really been someone in here with me this whole time while I was, like, seeing if there was Adium and stuff? And then with her bronze, she can feel Alamancy. And she says, Mistborn, the same one she'd felt before. So I don't know if that's an assumption on her part, that Yeoman has one Mistborn, so this must be the same one. Or if she can tell via how the Alamancy feels that it's the same one. And she even told Ellen earlier, she's like, he won't fight us while we're together. He would want to get us separated. And so she's like, here it is. He separated us, and now it's time to fight. And when the guy steps into the lanterns, she recognizes his face, and we end the chapter with the word Reen. And that's actually the end of part three entirely. So, yeah, long lost brother. They're going to hug it out and, you know, um, have a good time, right? Uh, Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's the only the only course of action from here. Okay, let's do some quick predicaments. So, I don't know, what do you guys predict is going to happen with Reen? And, uh, you know, anything else? And with Vin, is she going to be trapped down here for the rest of the book? How's that going to go? What do you guys think? Well, I mean, obviously they're going to get out. Like, it wouldn't be much of a book if the hero spends the rest <laughs> of it down in a cabin. I don't think Reen is on, well, I mean... Whether or not he's working for Yeoman, I don't know. He could just be hiding out in the city because it's the logical place to hide and no one ever sees him. He just steals food. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if he actually works for Yeoman or not. And if he does, he's definitely got his own plans to just, like, betray him at the last second, whatever. Like Vin said, he's all about survival, so he will absolutely throw Yeoman under the bus if it means he's going to come out on top. He always did um, say anyone will betray you, so, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he will try and play on Vin's emotions to try and get her to welcome him back in but she's but he's planning to betray her entirely 
I don't know what the story is because I mean he definitely got captured by the Inquisitors because the Inquisitors in the first book had information they couldn't have possibly had if they hadn't captured him. So mm, yep, yep. I don't know if they released him or he escaped. Like maybe the torture snapped him and turned him into a Mistborn, or possibly he's got some spikes in him. That's entirely possible. Yeah, I don't know. There's yeah, so so, so many questions I need answered. So uh, I don't I don't really know where to go with that. Other side of the world, yeah. The next chapter is going to be, I, I feel like now Spook is going to be doing his little hideout thing because the others are going to want to question him. It's like, what the hell? How do you have this power? How do you do this stuff? And Spook, I think Spook wants to be seen as a legend. And that means he can't really have the personal connections with other people because he, I think he, like, whether or not it's him or Ruin talking, like, leaning on him, but he will still see them as, like, they'll talk down to me. They won't treat me as I need to be treated in order to be a legend. So I think now he's going to stay away from them. Mm. Um, yeah yeah if he if he went if he goes back to says and breeze he's gonna have to answer some questions they're not gonna let that shit go anymore so yeah. that might be his only option yeah 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 that's about where i stand uh the the, the crazy theory i i came up with and then immediately dismissed out of hands like reen reen's dead oh god does she have a spike and ruin is appearing to her as reen Ooh, you would think that we would know if reen was reen Vin, Reen and Vin together are Rin. You would think that we'd know if Vin was spiked, right? Like that's, that, that's, somebody that's should have mentioned that it. shit. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I dismissed it out of hand. Mm. But I'd be lying if I said the thought didn't cross my mind. So, hmm, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that this is really Reen. The Inquisitors, I doubt the Inquisitors would be playing a long game with somebody they assumed they were going to kill, like right after that. So, there's really no reason to lie about. Reen back in the first book. I think the Inquisitors did kill him. Okay. Um, and so I don't think that whatever this is is Reen. A couple of different theories came to my mind. Something similar to what Dak said his crazy theory is. And then also I was like, well, could it be a Chondra? Well, they would have to have his bones and they would have mm. had to see Reen, I think, to know what he looked like. So I don't... It probably is not a Chondra. But also... They're sensing alamancy from him, so or she's sensing alamancy from him. So if it is, if it was really Reen, he would have had to have been Spike to get alamantic powers, because they had different fathers. So he doesn't have, as far as we know, of course his father's a mystery to us. Yeah. But I mean, what we've been led to believe based on the first book is that she, he did not have any powers to speak of. Yeah, and I'm and I mean they were the Inquisitors were hunting for Vin. They never seemed to. I mean, they wanted Green to get to Vin, and they tortured him to get to Vin. It right. didn't seem like he was a goal in and of himself. So it didn't they 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 want half breed kids? So right. So if they and they would have been able to determine surely if Green had some kind of alimantic ability of his own. So I don't think I don't think like I said I don't think they would have been playing some kind of long game with. A woman they would have probably tried to kill. But Dak brings up an interesting point. Like, if if it's not Reen, what is it? And then I thought about I thought about all of the all of the ways that Ruin like talks to people. And most of the time he talks to them in their mind. And we're seeing him now talking to Spook as if he is Kelsier. He's yep. using like the voice of Kelsier in Vin's head, and then we, and then Vin keeps hearing Reen in her head, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, is Ruin Reen's voice in Vin's head all this time? 
Is that what's been going on with her? She continually hears Reen's voice. Oh, shit. And if that's the case, then she spiked. And if that's the case, then her alimantic powers are not like natural, not naturally inborn. Or maybe they were, and then she got a spike and it enhanced it. And that's why she's slightly stronger than other alimancers. Mm. But how, how how do we not notice if Vin has a spike in her? Like even Zane like knew it was there. The the and so the theory I tied to that is it's her earring and it sticks in her ear and mm. she never takes it out. Oh, she she does wear her earring. Yeah, that's true. So the pin in her earring that holds it that fastens it in her ear goes through her ear and that's because the only time she ever took the earring off that that's recorded in the book is when she jumped in the well. And then when she came back and when she came out, she she put it right back in. Yeah, it's true, because it was like metal and it got all burny hot when she was. Yeah, when the well. she was yeah. in the well, she took it off. I think she set it off a couple of other times. Like at the beginning of the book, she wasn't even the first book. She wasn't even wearing it. It was like she went and got it when she was going to run away from the crew yeah. or whatever. So maybe she did have alimantic powers and then the earring just like enhances them. But the earring is the spike, the pin in it. That's. That's kind of where I'm thinking. So if if Ruin is the voice inside Vin all this time, then maybe he's able to manifest himself like to her in the form of Reen. I don't know. Huh. I don't know what how his powers. I don't know how his powers work. So, but you know, voices inside heads. Like yeah, we all have voices in our heads. But with how persistent the Reen voice has been throughout the series, and then also. More recently, I feel like Brandon's almost pointing us back, like, look, look, you know, listen to this voice. And I don't think it's just a coincidence that at the end of this part, Reen shows up. I think it, there may be more to it. So that's my theory on possibly what's happening. I think it would be more interesting if it was a Chandra. But again, I don't know how that would work. Yeah. That would um, be, uh, Reen doesn't seem like he was important enough in life for a Chandra to have grabbed him if he's dead now. So, yeah. Yeah, and again, I don't, don't they have to see what they look like to be able to put the facial features together? I would think. I mean, usually we've been told they have to actually eat the thing. They're like so right. they can recreate it exactly. I would think that seeing would be a minimum. Right, because when Tenson creates something based off the bones earlier, they're like, oh, I didn't realize those were originally the bones that you brought in. And Tenson's like, no, they're not. I'm, yeah. I just like he just thinks to himself, I'm just really, really good. <laughs> I'm just that good. That's um, interesting. So, so got, if, it, if it's her earring, she got that from, from her mother, her mom. Right. The day that her mom, like the day that Reen took her away, because he comes home and he finds that like, dead sister, dead sister, mm-hmm. then gets a new earring and right. the mom's gone like insane. Sure. Hmm, maybe, okay. maybe mom was driven insane by Bruin, told to kill daughter or try to snap do- and or she's trying to snap her daughters and she killed one by trying to snap her or vin was given earring as small child doesn't remember ruin telling her kill your sister and she did it hmm. interesting that's that's what i think's going on with this ring thing but i don't hopefully we'll find out soon because i really just it doesn't make a lot of sense for it to actually be Reen. the only thing that occurred to me when when dak was talking actually about a reason that this could actually be Reen, but the Inquisitors lied about it, is we just learned in the previous epigraph that the Inquisitors' torture chambers were experimental stations for 
hemallergy, basically trying to come up with yeah. something new via hemallergy. So it's like maybe they right. tortured Reen by trying to turn him into something new via hemallergy. Yeah. That's uh that's a good point. Oh, my dog's barking. That's, that's a good just, point. Just a thought uh, I had while Dak was talking about like what how could this be Reen? Like yeah. why would they have, you know? And as far as the spook stuff goes on the other end, again, I can't uh, emphasize this enough. I don't care. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I think Spook's making bad decisions, bad choices, but, you know, he does have ruin in his head, so. He saved a little kid, though. Oh, yeah, that that's not a bad choice. But, you know, there was a real there was a real um, Emperor Palpatine Anakin moment when he's like, just just let him die. Yeah. And and he's like, oh, OK. Well, but and I, I said at the time, it's not like he had a lot of choice. Like, what 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 was he going to do there? He could have carried both of them out with his pewter strength. Maybe. Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, don't care about spook. Maybe Reen's a ghost or a, or, or a ruin or a something, a chondra, a mist wraith. Okay, that makes sense. All of it makes just it either does or it doesn't, right? So, what do you got, Jamie? What are you thinking after hearing what uh, both of them thought? Yeah, I um I really like Joe's idea and you know by extension Dak's idea that this isn't Reen and the earring like it all it all does make a lot of sense. I just for funsies I'm gonna go the other way and say it is Reen and yeah I mean the Inquisitors might not have been playing a, a long game with Vin but they also have no reason to tell her the truth either. So by saying he's dead. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean he is. So, yeah, and at the end of the day, Reen is on Reen's side. I don't think mm. he's going to be particularly helpful or unhelpful. He will do what he needs to do in that situation for him, if that's him. So I have no idea where that's going to go next. It wasn't a name I was expecting to hear again in terms of showing up as a character. I, I did think <laughs> that was pretty well done with. But, yeah. Interesting to see. Maybe maybe Ellen will kill Vin's brother. Oh, you know, yeah. Just, uh, just balance to, it out. Yeah, balance it out. You know, you kill my brother, I kill your brother. That, that makes sense. What is that? Fratricide? Is that what it is? Frat, fratricide. Well, it's fratricide if you kill your own brother. Yeah. But, yeah. but if you kill somebody brother. else's brother, it's just murder. But if you kill it's your brother-in-law. Murder. Oh, that's true. It'd be brother-in-law. That's right. They're married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was not her brother-in-law when she killed Zane. Not at the he time. Got married time. right after. So it's yeah. okay. It, it was just regular murder. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. I think Sazed will be on to Spook now a little bit. And knowing, well, I mean, he doesn't really know anything yet in terms of what, like, Vian and Ellen and the advisors have been talking about hemallergy. But I think if they if they do sort of come back together, he'll start to put that together. And I hope that we we catch up with Ten soon soon so that he can sort of weigh in on it too because that would be really interesting to get the Kandra's point of view he obviously knows what the blessings are and where they come from and and all that sort of stuff so it'd be interesting to see if he's willing to help help out there as well in putting those pieces together but yeah we're definitely definitely in a bit of a pickle um (laughs) I'm not really sure what's going to happen next but I kosher or dill (laughs) (laughs) Uh you have an interesting Uh, point that reen is out for reen like i think both the others said something similar but it makes me think if if this is reen he is also just let himself be trapped in here unless he knows another way out i guess which seems like yeah uh, which is possible yeah 
Maybe that's how Vin gets out. Reen's like, oh, I have a secret way in and out of this. <laughs> Let me show you the way. Mm-hmm. How do you think I've been well, eating all these years? At some point, Reen is going to have to get out. But, I mean, they know there was obviously people outside to tell Yeoman that they've got her. Yep. And, you know, whether it's a case of has, has Reen just been, is he on his own and has just been tailing her and is sort of in there by chance going, yeah, I knew you were going to come here or whatever. Or is he with, with Yeoman? Don't really know. Did the Lord yeah, Wolves be- force him to become like the keeper of the cash? Like he's Red Skull from uh, Infinity War. <laughs> Like you yeah, didn't expect him coming back either, did you? And there, there it went. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sorry. like Yeoman forced him to do that, and then takes away the thing that makes the cash unique. Yep. <laughs> and Reen's just like, "Oh, come on, man!" <laughs> well, Yeoman gave up something that he loved, so he was allowed to take it. It's all good. I don't know what that was, but maybe he had a girlfriend. Uh, okay, so <laughs> we have a few emails this week. So we have one from Sasha. And uh, the first part of Sausage is that she sent us a uh, a fanfic about Marsh's infiltration of the ministry from his point of view for book one that she thinks is really excellent. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So if you guys are interested after I read it, I might uh, I'll, I'll assuming it has no spoilers for something past that, then I will send it to you. But, Sweet. Uh, it's called the Steel Ministry. So anyway, but she did have one comment. Because we talked about there not being any real proof that the first generation is alive. Even after they talked, like, that could be somebody else sitting up there, right? And she wants... That's she, my assumption. She points out that Tensun did know the first generation before they became too cool to hang out with everyone. And Tensun heard the voice that was coming from above and didn't think, at least where, where we could read, that it sounded wrong for the first generation. So she feels, at least, that that is some pretty solid proof that it's really them. Does that affect anyone's thoughts on that? Um, no, like, I, th- I think that's a fair point. We've got no real valid reason to go. It's not really the first generation up there. I think we were just being a bit funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, I, I don't think that was a serious conversation that we were having. Oh, I still think they're cardboard cutouts. I think Jamie's on it. Yeah, yeah. cardboard cutouts and look, tape recorders. Yeah, I, mean, tape I know that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, restrictions on technology, but. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. Why not have something? We're, we're, we're talking about a world where there's magic, you know, filled, uh, fueled by metals. Why not have a right. thing that can replicate a voice box or something like that to sound like another Kandra? Well, Kandra can yeah. replicate voice boxes to sound like humans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, although if you were going to if you were trying to impersonate the first generation, like you're the second generation conspiring to pretend they're still there or still in control. The only thing the first generation said was like, continue, Conpar. That's exactly the kind of recording you would have made. <laughs> yeah. Pay no attention to us. Continue, Conpar. Yes, uh, we are here. Wait, wait. <laughs> I, I like to think that like from Tencent's perspective, you know, he's hearing the voice. But then like from the upper balcony perspective, you're inside like wherever they're sitting. And it is a cardboard cutout with a tape recorder. But then also the music from Ferris Bueller's playing is like, D, bow, bow. all right and uh we got our second oh thank you sasha that uh i appreciate your thought there our second email is from dominic dominic says hey everybody i started reading the mistborn series a couple weeks ago and found your podcast simultaneously i enjoy your banter so much that i've decided to read sanderson's books alongside you instead of my usual rushing through books and series i often listen to your podcast when i'm grocery shopping or walking through the city and often have laughing fits from some hilarious stuff you people say which has gotten me many weird looks so far i guess it looks weird when you see someone walking around with a mask and hear a weird laughter 
Especially the spook rap cracks me up every time. <laughs> I'm almost caught up with you guys now. When I listened to episode 47, you were talking about Hoyd, and all I could think was of Nurse Joy from Pokemon. Somehow I got this image that there's a Hoyd in every city, and they all look the same, and that maybe one day we'll get to see like 20 Hoyds. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, that other Hoyd is my brother. That would, yeah, that would that would be an explanation for why why he showed up in a different city. I guess there's just there's an informant like him everywhere. They're, they have an informant school where they just all learn how to be an informant and they go by Hoyd. Yeah, I love it. A title. I think that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for your podcast and greetings from Switzerland. Wasing to the time of next. Well, thanks. Don, uh-huh. cool. Somebody in Switzerland is listening. Actually. Yeah, you you stay neutral. <laughs> uh, keep keep your neutralness going. It's important. So third email is from Aaron. Aaron says, hey, Data and the gang coming along for Sanderson's Wild Ride. Longtime New Zealander listener here. I discovered you guys when Data first promoted the podcast on the Mistborn subreddit about episode two or three. That was episode two. I totally didn't say anything when we released episode one. Nobody knew anything. I was like, I want at least two out there before I start advertising. So people know that we're not like going to have one and then be like, yeah, we didn't do anything for five months in your second episode. Because I've seen some of those come on Reddit, by the way. I gave it a go and have been hooked ever since. In fact, all my other podcasts get put on hold when a new episode of The Sander Lanch is released. Having only read the Mistborn series for the longest time, I dove into the whole Cosmere last year, and although you guys are probably well aware, let me reaffirm you, Dak, Jamie, and Joe, you guys are in for a wild and fantastic ride. I love hearing the reactions and theories from the three of you every week, no matter how close or far off the mark they are. And the vague hints and the subtle teases from Data often make me laugh out loud. The Zane claiming the dog is his from book two and the Lazarus pit, AKA well of Ascension is actually next door to the Lord ruler's secret cabin from book one are my personal favorites. Please keep up the fantastic work, Aaron. So yeah, I don't know if you guys remembered that reference where it's like, yeah, the Lazarus pit is next door to the Lord <laughs> ruler's secret chamber. I'd for cabins. I mean, I, I do slightly remember that only because I have a strong affinity for Batman. So any Batman related jokes we make, I, I, rem- I tend to remember. <laughs> uh, this is probably just me but anytime anybody says wild ride or awesome ride i just think of mall rats and mr toad's wild ride <laughs> it's like everyone wants mr toad's wild ride well yeah obviously i've never been on mr toad's wild ride actually i, I don't think it exists anymore i thought it was still at, like disneyland or something maybe i'm crazy because the jaws ride's not in universal either anymore okay well thank you aaron and sasha and Dominic, for your emails. If anyone else wants to send us an email, the address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and other places. Wherever good times are had. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing that we do. I was going to, music by Miracle of Sound is something I was going to say, but I was going to mention to you guys that when I recently posted about the podcast on Reddit, I meant to put into it that like, oh, and every new like into the post, like every new episode we have or every new book, we have a new song for Miracle of Sound. I forgot to do that. And then someone in the comments is like, wasing to the time of next. And somebody replied to them, music by Miracle of Sound. These are clearly people who, you know, listen to the show. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I had to reply to them like, yeah, I was going to I forgot that also. (laughs) I I don't just forget on the podcast. Nope. Uh, For next time. We are going to be reading chapters, 44 more chapters, 45, 46, 47, 48. And because we add an extra chapter to this one, I've actually been able to rearrange our schedule so that we will finish this book one episode earlier than I had planned. So this will be a 20-episode book. 
But anyway, so four chapters for next time, 45 through 48, if you are following along like Angela kind of is and like now uh, at least one other person is, so our Switzerland friend. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Wasing to the time of next. As the tiles of steel and stone crumble to dust, the foundations of our hope begin to rust. Choking fear, screaming sound, as a reaper comes to crown, you turn to face it down because you must. And when the world starts to Stand up.